Hello, everyone, and welcome to Education Matters. To understand education here in the state of Indiana and how it currently sits, you have to understand a little bit about our organization. So uh, education, we talked about it before. It's been pretty much the same for almost 200 years. And then about 20 years ago, we started breaking into the school choice realm. So we started with charter schools in 2001, but you really don't start hearing more about our organization until you hit 2007. In 2007, we started off as School Choice Indiana. We were an organization that was built from many national or, or uh, special interest groups who wanted to see educational freedom and options throughout our state. We formed that organization and at the time, um, at, at the state house, the only voice that was there was teachers. Teachers were the only ones with voices at the state house talking to legislators, pushing for their policy. And with the formation of School Choice Indiana, for the very first time, families and students had that voice as well. So uh, here we are, 2007, and, and we hit the ground running. We passed the tax credit scholarship policy in uh, 2009, and then in 2011, uh, School Choice Indiana was a part of the passage of the most comprehensive school choice education reform bill in the history of Indiana. Uh, at the time, you know, we had really no programs that would help someone pay for a private school education. But in 2011, it's when we passed our first piece of voucher legislation. Uh, looking at that political environment there, uh, kind of difficult to get something like that passed. We don't have the friends that we have today when it, when it involves school choice. So uh, it was absolutely monumental to see something like that go through the state legislature. Uh, not just monumental for, for us, for, but for the nation. There was no other state which had a, a statewide school choice program available for families. There were cities like Milwaukee. They had a voucher program solely for their city, but, but to be a place where an entire state has a program, it was unbelievable, unheard of. So here we go to 2013, where we expand on those school choice programs. And every year after that, we continue to do things to expand school choice, open up ed educational freedom and options, um, you know, continue to reform our educational system, which has put us to, to where we are now. We have eight different school types, three different school choice programs. Uh, we've really built a um, very diverse model when it comes to education, and that's exactly what we need. Um, our student population is diverse. Every child is different. Every child is unique. The educational system should be just as diverse and, um, you know, options available for, for every type of student. On this episode, we are going to talk with the president of our organization, Betsy Wiley. This is Education Matters with My School Options. Today, we welcome Betsy J. Wiley. She serves as president and CEO for the Institute for Quality Education, a non-for-profit organization focused on K-12 education policy, advocacy, and engagement. Ms. Wiley also serves as president of Hoosiers for Quality Education, 
which is an affiliated organization that engages in political activity throughout Indiana in support of candidates and policies that provide educational freedom for Hoosier family. Prior to joining the IQE team in January of 2013, Mrs. Wiley served as Governor Mitch Daniels' Deputy Chief of Staff for six and a half years and as the Director of Cabinet and Agency Affairs for the first 18 months of the Daniels administration. In her role in the governor's office, Betsy focused on overseeing daily operations of state government. Her, responsibility, her responsibilities included managing the policy team and the legislative team, as well as the daily office operations of the staff. Mrs. Wiley served as Chief Deputy Treasurer for the state of Indiana from February of 1999 through January of 2004, and in various capacities at the Health and Hospital Corporation of Marion County. Betsy was a member of the 1996-1997 class of the Richard G. Luger Excellence in Public Service Series and has served on its board since 2007 and as president of the board from 2013 to 2018. Betsy received Indiana's highest honor when she was named a Sagamore of the Wabash in 2013. She was the 2010 recipient of the Nancy Mullaly Award for Public Service and was named one of IBJ's 40 Under 40 in 2009 and was a finalist for Junior Achievement's Best and Brightest in 2009. Mrs. Wiley obtained her MBA from Butler University and has her bachelor's degree from Miami University. And I want to welcome Betsy. Betsy, welcome. Thank you, Caesar. So, Betsy, I want to I want to hear more. Uh, I want to learn about your story and uh, tell me tell me about your your upbringing. Oh gosh, my upbringing. Uh, well, I'm a native Hoosier. I've lived here my whole life. Um, proud to call it home. Proud to make it my home. Born in Boone County in Lebanon, Indiana, and grew up on the north side of Indianapolis in southern Hamilton County. Parents are both uh, retired now, but public school teachers here in the Indianapolis area. I'm the youngest of three kids. I've got two older brothers, um, and there are families who also still live here in Indiana. So we, um, we are all happy and proud to call the Hoosier State our home. As you mentioned, I, I uh, went to Miami University in Oxford, Ohio for my undergraduate degree and received my master's degree in finance from uh, Butler University, and have spent the majority of my career uh, in public service. Well, thank you. Thank you for your time and your commitment to the public throughout the years, Betsy. Betsy, you've got a ton of experience serving on boards and received prestigious awards for public service. How has your involvement in these organizations influenced your perspective on the role of community engagement in education? It's had a tremendous impact. Um, I think community engagement with respect to education is paramount. Um, you know, in most of our neighborhoods and communities throughout the state of Indiana, the schools are the backbone or the heart of the community. Um, it's where we spend our Friday nights uh, watching football games and basketball games and marching band competitions. And it's where we go uh, to see 
you know, the choir and the drama performance. Um, they bring the community together. So it's it's much more than just where our young people go to learn their ABCs and their one, two, threes, which is vitally important and a, and a huge need. Um, and it's much more than, um, you know, I think it's so often and easily said, oh, they're, you know, it's the training of our future workforce. But it's more than that, right? It's the training and development of our future community, right? These are the individuals that we go to work with. These are the individuals we go to church with, we see in the grocery stores and so much more. And so um, I firmly believe that community engagement by all members of the community, whether they have children currently in the education system or not, um, is, is paramount. Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, could you share an experience in your life or career that significantly impacted your understanding of educational challenges or solutions? Absolutely. Um, growing up, and I, I mentioned a little bit earlier in, in terms of some of my background, that my parents were um, Indianapolis public school teachers. And, and we had the opportunity, my brothers and I, we lived in a different school system um, on the north side of Indianapolis, uh, attended public schools there as well. But the socioeconomic backgrounds, as well as the demographics of the student population in the schools in which we went to and the schools in which my parents taught were very different. And growing up, um, when I was young, I don't think I really fully understood the differences in those opportunities, right? And the differences that uh, my brothers and I had um, because of the choice that my parents made when we were small in terms of where to live and what sacrifices to make in order to live in that community um, so that we could attend those schools, right? And um, when I was in high school, my high school played um, an inner city Indianapolis high school that happened to be the high school that my dad was teaching at at the time. And we went to that and the game was at my dad's high school, and we went to that game and sat with my dad's side of um, the school in terms of which side do we sit on. We didn't sit with our own school. We sat with my dad's side of the school. Uh, but it was an extremely eye-opening experience because a number of folks, family members, friends, others from my school um, were uneasy, right? Felt scared, felt um, unsure because they were going from a a, a suburban school setting where everyone looked alike, had sort of similar backgrounds, et cetera, to a very urban setting um, with a much different socioeconomic, ethnic, racial diversity in its student population. And it was foreign to them. And I remember it distinctly thinking, this is the first time that I've really noticed the differences between where I'm going to school and where my parents teach in, in the education that, that these uh, students are having. And so it's, it stuck out with me. Um, it's probably part of what's carried me forward into continuing to work in the education field because I fundamentally believe, no surprise, was brought up to believe sort of education is everything and the great equalizer. Um, and at that moment, it, it occurred to me how different opportunities given to different families can, can produce starkly different results um, and form starkly different opinions within people's, you know, views. No, I, I thank you for sharing that. Uh, that's very powerful and, and I think definitely a motivator. 
and, and and as you as we move on and and think about how can how can individuals or local communities contribute to improving their K through twelve education system, specifically in those regions facing uh, some of the challenges you just described, Betsy. I think what's most important for people in the community to do is to try to get involved. Right, get involved with young people. Through the school is a great way to do it, but there are other ways in communities, right? Uh, there are, you know, through youth church programs, through community centers, um, through other programming in the community. But I think the school is a great way for community members to get involved. I think it's a great way for retired individuals to get involved, right? Oftentimes you hear about um, folks in retirement and what are they going to do with their lives and and how do they give back? And they just sit at home and watch television, the game show network, et cetera, et cetera. Take a little bit of time. Try to work with those people to come in and maybe read to a classroom of kindergartners, right? Um, expose them to some education. Talk with them. Share your experiences. Um, and I think just being around um, young people is beneficial both for the student, for that young person, but also for the elderly person or the retired person or the community person who doesn't do that, right? And it provides that connection in the community that we so very much need. And so I, I think, um, unfortunately, because of the times, volunteering in schools is not as easy as it used to be. You used to be able to just show up and, um, you know, read to a classroom or talk to a teacher and say, I'd like to come in and volunteer a couple days a week to help you in any way I can. Now, I think that involves a lot of background checks and in other things. But I would encourage every member of every community to try and do that. Um, and it's, you know, the outcome's worth the little bit of pain to, to kind of get the approval in which to go and engage in your schools. Betsy, IQE has been instrumental in shaping K-12 education policy. Could you highlight some of the critical initiatives or programs IQE has, under, has undertaken to improve education? Yes. You know, I'm, I'm so thankful for the Institute for Quality Education. And uh, previously, it was known as School Choice Indiana. And uh, it's done tremendous work since its founding um, in 2007. And so um, to, to highlight a few policies, it, you know, Starting with when I was uh, in Governor Daniels' administration, it was School Choice Indiana in partnership with some other organizations, Ed Choice and some others, who really helped us form in 2011 a comprehensive education reform package, uh, a package that ultimately, upon passage, made Indiana the national leader when it came to K-12 education. And that package did a number of things, right? It not only expanded um, educational freedom and opportunity to families by uh, establishing the Choice Scholarship or the voucher program, which provides some financial aid to families who need it uh, to pay for tuition to a private school. But it expanded the number of charter school authorizers and strengthened charter school laws to have uh, one of the most robust charter school environments in the country. And we've been recognized in Indiana several years running as having the best charter school laws and policies in the nation. It established uh, teacher evaluations. Um, it seemed crazy, but teachers weren't getting an evaluation on an annual basis um, by their principals and superintendents. 
they weren't getting that feedback that we all get in our jobs in terms of what can you do better? What are you excelling at? Um, and those types of conversations lead to all these great partnerships where you could have a great teacher who becomes a mentor teacher to another teacher who may be new to the profession and struggling in a particular area. And you can identify those and really help get those teachers feeling um, included in that school and in that classroom. Um, so we did teacher evaluations, provided accountability system. Um, we had a very non-user-friendly, non-family-friendly, non-parent-friendly, however you'd like to say it, accountability model in the state of Indiana. We replaced it with an A to F system, something that everyone could understand. Is it a perfect system? No. By no stretch of the imagination is it perfect, but it is understandable. And parents today still like an A to F system because they know they'd much rather have their child in an A or B kind of setting than a D or F kind of setting. And when we start putting jargon and words that are so often used in education around it, it just kind of muddies the water, right? So we, we established a very clear and easy accountability uh, system. And then the other thing that we did was we did some reforms in the collective bargaining space. And I think it's been um, tremendously helpful in the state of Indiana. I think there's more room to go. But you know, we limited collective bargaining to wage and wage-related benefits for teachers um, and stopped having bargaining and labor disputes over things like what color the walls are painted in the teacher's lounge. And these types of things used to be bargained. Um, and, you know, that's not keeping our eye on the prize, right? Teachers are there because they are there to help our young people learn and grow as individuals. And so, um, we kind of needed to keep our eye on the price. So we focused that as well. And again, together, it's sort of those five pillars really launched Indiana as a national leader. So super proud of that time. Yeah. When I often think about um, sort of the the real foundation of school choice, I think about that bold initiative and that work under that, the, the Daniels administration and the work that your entire team uh, did there, Betsy. Uh, so what are some of the most pressing challenges in K through 12 education today? And how do you believe we can address them effectively? I think we're facing a number of challenges today. Um, you know, education, nothing in the world today is what it was, you know, when you and I were growing up and going to school. Um, you know, we talked about the ease at which you could volunteer at a school back in the day, and you certainly can't do that now. Cell phones weren't a thing when I went to school. Social media wasn't a thing when I went to school. You know, did bullying exist? Sure. Did cyberbullying exist? No. Right. Um, none of that. None of that was around. So I think we have a lot of social challenges um, because of social media and some things. But I also think we've got some very basic challenges. Right. We have a huge literacy challenge ahead of us. Um, it is, you know, known worldwide. There's uh, academic studies on top of academic studies to show that if children can't read on grade level by the end of third grade, um, they struggle going forward. You know, often you hear you from birth to three, you learn to read. And from third grade forward, you read to learn. And there's an awful lot about that. And so I think we really need to focus on literacy um, and numeracy and really get back to the basics. And um, I think that's another challenge we have today is just sort of we've kind of left um, 
we sort of left the compass of what education was about. And in many ways, we say, hey, anything and everything we're interested in in doing or collecting or learning about a five-year-old to an 18-year-old, we should have them do that at the school. So that includes, you know, healthcare and mental health services and all these things that the community, um, the church, your neighborhoods, your friends, your family uh, used to do, certainly when I was growing up. And we've put a lot of that burden on the teachers and the classroom. Um, and so, and we're a much more litigious society today. Um, you know, there, I think a lot of teachers, administrators, and others live in fear of, of you know, legal ramifications. And again, those, those, weren't, those weren't things when I was growing up. And so I think in many, many ways, the path forward is a return to the past. Um, you know, not necessarily a one-room schoolhouse, but maybe a 2023 version of a one-room schoolhouse um, that that uh, focuses on some of the fundamentals. So, Betsy, IQE focuses on educational freedoms for families. Uh, could you share specific policies or strategies that aim to empower families in Indiana? Yes, we're so fortunate in Indiana to have such a robust education setting in K-12 and to have so many of those options available to all Hoosier families. Um, you know, we can start with basics, right? We have a, a great public school system. We have 293 public school corporations throughout the state of Indiana. And the most used form of educational choice in Indiana is going to a different public school than system than the one you live in. Um, a freedom that isn't allowed in a lot of other states. And so, you know, if you happen to live in a community and the neighboring community has a, a better school for you or your parents view it to be a better school, maybe it's smaller class sizes, maybe they focus on robotics and you're very into robotics, you can go there. Um, and you can, in many cases, they'll provide transportation. Sometimes you, your parents might have to provide transportation. Um, but we have that, that freedom. We have a lot of private school choice programs that help families who previously might not have been able to afford the cost of tuition to send their child to a private school um, to afford it. Um, that ranges from, you know, the tax credit scholarship program to the voucher program or the choice scholarship program um, to the newest program, which is the education scholarship account program or the ESA program, which is currently focused on special needs students, but hopefully will become quickly available to more students. Um, we even have, you know, there's ability in Indiana for you to use your 529 account, a college savings account. Um, you can use some of that for your K-12 education to go to our private school. So lots of opportunities there if we can help parents understand that. If, if a private school is what they desire for their child, but they think it's financially impossible, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. We also have charter schools in Indiana, you know, a public school, right? Charter schools are public schools. They're free. They're open to all students. And um, they differ from a traditional public school model in that they often have fewer regulations. They have an independent board. And so they often have much more independence within the school as regards to curriculum and teaching and school day. Many of them have a specific focus. Uh, STEM education, fine art, um, some of them are an English language or a foreign language immersion school. 
Um, and so those are popping up. We have over 120 of those in Indiana, and, and they do an excellent, an excellent job. And then you're seeing, you know, out of the pandemic, um, you're seeing some new and innovative models come to light and grow. And I think they're going to be a large part of the future. Things like learning pods and micro schools. Um, some of those are sort of a hybrid of maybe a homeschool model and more a traditional model, right? Where you might go to a school a couple days a week or and then a homeschool a couple days a week. Some of them, a learning pod might be to hire a teacher, a certified teacher. Six or seven families, three or four families might get together, identify a teacher and say, hey, would you teach our kids? And it's sort of a one-room schoolhouse type of model. You have cooperatives, right, where parents will even participate in that. And maybe a, a dad is a banker and he'll come in and he'll teach about financial literacy and some other things. And then you have a, a dad that's a chemist and he'll come in and teach about science and a mom that's teaching reading. And, and then they'll supplement that with other um, education professionals. And so we're really seeing a lot of different and innovative um, models when it comes to K-12 education. I think that's incredibly exciting and super fortunate that we're in a state that is embracing that versus fighting it. No, no, I, I definitely agree that Indiana is definitely a leader in providing options and choices for families. And as you know, one of the hurdles that still remains is families being aware of those options and, and choices and how to use them to best put their child in, in their best environment. Betsy, what motivated you to transition from roles in government to leading an organization focused on education policy? Well, education's been kind of at the, my core forever. Um, as I mentioned, I have, you know, parents that were educators. On my dad's side of the family, literally everyone is. My aunt, my uncle, my other aunt who's married to my uncle, my grandma, um, you know, when we were little, our stockings were full of flashcards and workbooks and, you know, pencils and um, educational materials. So I think it's just always been something we were about, certainly something I was about when I would play with dolls. I'd set them up and pretend that I was teaching school. Um, I wanted to be a teacher and started out at uh, Miami in education and, and changed uh, into business and finance along the way. And so it's definitely a part of me at my core. I, I had great personal, what do I want to say, great personal, I don't know, fulfillment probably um, in working as part of the Daniels administration on the comprehensive package in 2011 and continuing to work on education issues before. So when the opportunity to come lead the Institute for Quality Education came before me, um, I jumped at it. And I've been here for a decade, and I'll be here until they uh, kick me out because I, I strongly, strongly believe in the power of education for every student in the state of Indiana. And I know it can unlock doors. I know it can level playing fields. I know it can provide every kid in this state the opportunity to reach their full potential in whatever they choose to do. And so um, until we get everybody there and everybody feels like they're 
getting a great education in an environment that works for them, we've got work to do. Definitely a lot of work yet to be done in Indiana. And, and Betsy, as, as you have been sharing your own school journey and your own personal experience, how have your academic experiences at Butler, Miami University, shaped your approach to leadership in the education sector? Yeah, you know, I've been fortunate to have the educational experiences that I've had. Um, you know, we talked about I grew up in the public school system. Miami is a, a medium-sized public, public university over in Ohio. Butler, a private school here in in Indianapolis. And so, um, you know, it's given me a, a wealth and a breadth of um, exposure to different educational models. Um, and I think all of that has helped me, um, as I've gotten older, understand how lucky I am to have had those educational opportunities, how not everyone is as fortunate as I was to be able to, to do those types of things. Um, you know, my master's at Butler, um, I was able to do at night when I was working full time. That's how I had to do it when I um, I was extremely fortunate with um, my parents' help and loans and scholarships that my parents really helped me uh, get my bachelor's degree. But they made it very clear to my brothers and I that uh, any education beyond that's on you guys. And we've all received um degrees beyond our bachelor's degree, but we did it on our own. Um, all of us working while doing it, going at night, finding financial aid, finding ways to get it done. And um, not everyone can navigate that system. Not everyone knows how to do all of that. And that's even true today in our K-12 system. And so helping, you know, I think those experiences have kind of led me to be as passionate as I am about the work that we do here at IQE and helping families and kids get off to the greatest start they can. And could you please share a pivotal moment or an experience that strengthened your dedication to improving educational opportunities for students? Yeah, I, you know, I think there are several. Um, I've had the opportunity numerous times to visit different types of schools all throughout the state. And my husband comes from a very rural part of Indiana, right? It, uh, um, a community that growing up I wasn't really exposed to. We grew up in the suburbs. My parents taught in the inner city, right? So I I was used to suburban and urban settings, but hadn't really experienced some rural settings. And while when I first met his family, also a family of teachers, uh, by the way, um, and went to some of their kids' activities at school, um, very different. Right. Things I took for granted, opportunities that I had in my suburban schools, they didn't have from course choices um, to. To, you know, facilities and extracurricular materials. And and so it was very clear to me that the playing field is a level and it's not just um, not a level playing field of experience because of how much money you have or don't have or what color of skin you have or don't have um, or where you, you know, necessarily where you live. It's a combination of, of sort of all types of things, but we have very diverse um, schooling options in our state. And, and at first that freaks me out and I want everybody to have all the best. 
Um, but I've come over time, and I think it's been pivotal to see all the different um, experiences to appreciate the diversity and model because as much as there's diversity and model of schooling type or learning situation, there's diversity in our students. And so what works well for one doesn't work well for everyone. A, a small classroom size um, may be great for, for a particular child where another child may actually thrive in a very large school because they need that social interaction and, and they, you know, thrive more in, in a much larger environment, a more robust environment. And so, you know, I think that's maybe what's been most pivotal to me is the exposure of all these different models and the realization, the bringing that together with the fact that not every child learns the same and we should embrace the diversity of model and the diversity of child. And then it's just our job to really try and match them up as best we can. And that's what we mean when we talk about school choice is exactly just that, is being able to meet the child's unique needs, place them in an environment where they can succeed uh, and really realize their dreams. And so as Betsy uh, is just talking about, is the fact that uh, every child is different and education looks a lot different and it should. It absolutely should. I, I think, you know, one other thing just to kind of quickly add, sorry to interrupt you and walk on top of your talking there, but the other thing that I think we need to understand is, as the community, as members in the community, right, is what you just said about every child learns differently and, and we want to help them all reach their full potential and, and achieve their dreams and goals. And that means accepting that people, accepting the differences among people, right? So right now I believe that there's just way too much um, adversity when it comes to education. And people want to say, well, I'm okay if we have divert, you know, if we have school choice as long as it's for certain people, or I'm okay if we offer this, but only to these kids, or I'm okay, and and so they don't accept. There's only one way of thinking, and it's their way of thinking, and I think that's one of our biggest challenges. And I think as a community, we need to be open minded, and we need to say, you know what, no one's telling you that what you're doing for your child is wrong. In fact, hopefully we're celebrating that what you're doing for your child is right and in the best interest of your child. But don't judge just because someone's doing something different that what they're doing is wrong for their child uh, because it may be exactly what that child needs. And so really trying to open up people's minds to celebrate educational freedom and choice and the diversity of our students and therefore the need for diverse learning environments, I think is, is absolutely uh, one of the, the biggest challenges ahead of us and yet one of the largest opportunities we have as a state. So Betsy, how has your experience as Governor Mitch Daniels's Deputy Chief of Staff and Director of Cabinet and Agency Affairs influenced your approach to education advocacy? As we talked about before, I was super honored to be a part of the Daniels administration during what was a pivotal moment for Indiana in K-12 education policy. And, and no question um, that has influenced um, where I am today and my, and my passion for 
ensuring that every child in Indiana has access to a quality education, um, is able to receive an education and learn in an environment that meets their unique learning needs. Um, and so, you know, I, I couldn't be more thankful for my time and my experience in the Daniels administration and, and certainly credit it in, in um, many, many ways for why I've been able to have the opportunity to be here at IQE. And you've been involved in various political campaigns. Uh, how does the political engagement intersect with education reform? And how do you navigate bipartisan support for educational initiatives? Yeah, it's it's super challenging. Um, unfortunately, political engagement is a necessary evil in today's world in, in every single policy area. And K-12 education is no different. Um, I wish it was. I am sad to say in Indiana that um, a number of the reforms and, and ideas and freedoms that we've talked about are currently um, very partisan and not bipartisan. And I think that, as we were just discussing, you know, one of the areas of greatest opportunity for us as a state is this understanding and realization that our children are different and unique. There isn't a one-size-fits-all solution. Someone choosing something different for their child than what I choose for mine is not an assault on me as a parent or my choices, um, but it is doing what's best for their kid. And, you know, I, again, celebrate that we're fortunate enough to live in a state that provides a lot of opportunities and freedoms to families. I wish and hope that it'll be more bipartisan in nature. Unfortunately, education, K-12 education, like a lot of things here in Indiana, has become very partisan in nature, and I think it's real opportunity for bipartisanship. You know, as we talked about, politics plays a role, and it always has. Um, it's part of the reason um, our organization and our partner organization, Hoosiers for Quality Education, started years ago, um, because the only voice in the political realm and in the state house and in the policymaking world was um, the Indiana Teachers Association or the Teachers Union. And they do an excellent job of representing their members, um, which are the adults in the system. And what, what we, the voice that we weren't having um, were the students and the families in the system. And so um, IQE and HQE over the years as have other organizations, um, you know, the Mind Trust, Ed Choice, and Stand for Children and others have really helped to bring um, the voice, the concerns of students and families um, into the policy discussion. And I think that that's really, really important. I would love to see uh, work in a more bipartisan way. There are certainly some areas and issues where there is bipartisan support, things like we talked about around literacy and other things. Now, how you get there is when people start to kind of divide into their own camps. But differing thoughts are great. And oftentimes the best solution comes out of compromise and conversation. And so I'm, I'm optimistic that much more bipartisanship can happen in the state of Indiana when it comes to K-12 education and certainly bullish on the idea that if it does through those partnerships and collaboration and bipartisanship, um, our students will have much better results. 
I always find that there's more similarities than differences in sitting down and talking, as you mentioned, and, and having open discussions about what's important is critical uh, to finding that that common ground to work under, right? And I always say, even if you don't agree on most things, if we can agree on one thing, uh, that can get us started to really doing some great work together. So I appreciate that thought, Betsy. Uh, what role, uh, if any, do you see for nonpartisan collaboration in advancing educational policies and reforms? I think nonpartisan um, plays a huge role, right? Uh, in, in one, one great place to look at this is in the area of workforce and education and businesses and economic development. Often economic development um, in, in sort of the business community is viewed as a nonpartisan community. And yet, um, you know, one of the things that we're doing in the education system is training our future workforce, right? Training our future community leaders, training our future doctors and lawyers and welders and musicians and, and you know, everybody that makes our community in the fabric of our state. And so um, I think addressing that in a nonpartisan way um, and having that voice continue to be loud is is extremely important. I also think that, again, a lot of education is very personal. Um, it's very individually oriented based on the needs of the individual or the child who's receiving the education and the parents and their belief system. And so I think we need to embrace that. And I think we need to, you know, relish in the fact that we are a diverse population and celebrate that versus tear that tear that down um because if we all you know looked the same thought the same felt the same wanted the same thing um what a what a very boring community we would be um and so you know we need to sort of celebrate people's differences and to to your point um you know, I, I probably wouldn't want to be friends with you, Caesar, if we agreed on everything, right? Like, I think finding something that we disagree on, um, you know, helps me grow, helps you grow, helps me learn. I want to go out then and learn more about why does he think that way and where did he get that? No, that was interesting. I'd like to read more about that or read that book or do that thing. And so um, I think we need to celebrate differences instead of taking them personally as as an assault and that and that often happens in a in a political world in a very partisan way right because you're of one party and I'm of another then we simply cannot get along and 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 that's sort of a given at the front and I I think we yeah. need to move away from that philosophy I agree with you I think that uh, at the end it, it's the the families uh the students right uh that really end up losing um as a result Yep. Keep, we need to keep our eye on our prize, right? Which yes. is everybody wants a, a better and successful Indiana. So. so looking ahead, what are the key areas of focus for IQE in, in the coming years, Betsy? You know, the biggest area of focus for IQE is really around outreach and advocacy. Again, we are so fortunate in Indiana to have so many options and so uh, many programs and, and initiatives out there working to help um, students and families. And when it comes to their education, and particularly K-12 education, and getting more every single day, but helping families understand those and navigate those and how to access those um, is really challenging. And so 
Um, a huge focus for IQE over the next several years will be in that space, in helping um, members of the community, families, and others understand all the programs, all the opportunities, all the school choices, all the tutoring programs, all the financial aid, um, you know, all these different ideas that are out there um, so that they can customize, right? The future of education is, is really individualized and customized. And how do they do that? Um, so that their child can achieve their dreams and meet their potential. And so um, I think we'll spend a, a, a much greater amount of time in that space. Uh, we'll continue to work on policies to to strengthen uh, Indiana, to make us a leader in the nation when it comes to literacy and numeracy, um, to make us a leader in the nation when it comes to um, rethinking high school and blurring those lines between education and workforce um, so that you could potentially enter the workforce straight out of education, maybe do an apprenticeship, then decide I want to go into management or ownership of a business and, and blur back into the higher education space and then back into the workforce, right? How do we, we um, blur those lines instead of live in sort of the siloed tracks that we have today? And so those will be two key areas of focus for IQE going forward. Exciting things coming up for education and for the organization. Uh, how do you envision the future of K-12 education, Betsy, especially considering technology advancements and changing societal needs? Boy, it's hard to say. Um, you know, with AI, who knows, right? Um, yeah. And 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 every you know, with technology, it changes so rapidly. One of the challenges in in education and education policy is that we put um, we do more than guardrails. We we put a lot of very prescriptive laws and regulations in place. And then schools and teachers and educators and learning models and all of these things aren't as nimble and can't keep up with the times like innovations and in technology do. And so we're automatically sort of hamstrung by that. So, so how do we maybe get rid of some of those regulations and, and create a world where we have sort of guardrails and less prescriptions so we can move and adapt quickly to the changing times and, and the you know, the new technologies and other services that are out there that can help our kids. Um, I think that's going to be extremely important. I think we're going to need to take some chances, which is very scary. Nobody wants to be risky when it comes to their child's future. But I think we're going to need to embrace some of the new models that are out there and let people give people the freedom to say, I know if I can do this, my kid's going to come out successful on the other side. We're going to have to trust that. We're going to have to trust it for more than a year. We're going to have to give people a runway to really demonstrate that a model is working for them. Um, oftentimes we say, oh, we'll let you try something. Oh, it didn't work in 12 months. Well, it doesn't. It takes longer than 12 months. Um, you know, and so I think we're going to have to be patient at the same time as push quickly forward. Right. And so um, a very tricky kind of place to be. But our the future of our kids depends on it. And so I think we, we've got to continue to try things. Some will work, some won't work. And we just get up and dust off and, and try some more. Um, and I, I, I'm excited about where I think things can go. Betsy, what advice would you give young professionals aspiring to make significant impact in education policy and advocacy? Do it. Get engaged. 
figure out how. There's all different ways to do it. Now, you know, you don't have to just say, oh, I'd love to get involved in education, but I don't want to be a teacher. Um, and by the way, I encourage as many people as possible to be teachers. Again, my parents are teachers. Some of the people I love most in the entire world, obviously, are teachers. And so um, if that's your passion, I encourage you to do it. But if it's not, don't think that you don't have anything that you can't contribute. Um, you certainly can. And we talked about it. Volunteer um, at school in some way, shape, or form. Volunteer with a, an extracurricular activity program at your school or in your community. Work with um, a little league or a youth organization. Get yourself in front of our young people and help um, in, you know, spread the word on the importance of education, help shape their futures, um, help them see by your living um, what an education can do, how it can make a difference, what a future they can have. Um, a lot of you know, what we're facing today is a lot of kids, you know, jobs aren't the same as when I was growing up or you were growing up. And there's so many more opportunities out there. And a lot of our children don't even know what's available to them, right? They don't even know what they could dream to be. And so the more we can expose them to those things, um, the better off we are. For those that want to get involved in policy, I think, again, there's all kinds of ways to do it. Education touches every part of our community. As we talked about it, it's the fabric of Indiana. And so I guarantee you that there are education programming going on in just about every business that you probably work in, um, certainly at your churches, at your community centers, um, and in various um, community groups and organizations that you're involved in. So there are ample opportunities, nonprofit and otherwise, for you to get involved in. And I just encourage you to to do so. I think everyone can play a role. And it's going to take, you know, all 6.2 million of us in the state of Indiana to, to make this all become a, a big success. No, I agree. Uh, getting involved um, and, and helping others, right, um, in your community is the best way. There definitely is need uh, finding sort of that comfort zone for you uh, and, and the way that you want to impact your community is very important to consider, uh, but I definitely agree. A any parting thoughts from you, Betsy? Yeah, I would just add to that. You know, it can be, it doesn't have to be like a, this long-term investment, right, to get involved. I think, you know, people think, oh, I just don't have the time. You know, quite honestly, a, a conversation with uh, an elected official or write them a letter um, you know, maybe if you have the chance and there's an issue or a bill that's, you know, testify, come down to the state house and testify, but go to a, a, a town hall meeting that they're holding and, and share their thoughts on education. Go to one of your local school board meetings and listen to the challenges going on at your, at your community. But again, you know, a conversation, a cup of coffee, uh, a quick letter or an email can be just as impactful, right? And as good of involvement as, you know, saying, well, I'm going to uh, spend a day a week um, at the elementary reading to kindergartners and first graders. So it can be little, it can be big, um, but I think there's something that everybody can do. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. And that's why education matters. If you like what you heard today, make sure you hit subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends, and help us get the word out about school choice and all the options available here in the state of Indiana.